of the gospel. Um, we have some of that going on now in our nation uh, as things continue to unfold. Uh, some things are being interpreted that way. Some people have different interpretations, and that's just perfectly fine. Um, it's not just a national thing. There's also engagement in reference to the church. Should the church stand against government that says we're part of reach? Okay, with not that says we're perfectly okay with not going against the government mandates for the sake of the health of people around us, places to um, At the same time, I think there comes a time when we have to consider how do we engage this. And so today, my, my sermon is going to be more bent on what should the tone be? What should the tone be as we as believers engage believers as well as unbelievers? What should be the tone of our engagement? And Paul, I think, gives us a good way of thinking here in this text. Uh, and so... I want to look at that because as we journey through this life, we're going to engage one another as believers and we're going to engage people who do not believe. As Christians, we want to engage in an encouraging way to encourage one another to continue in Christ, consist, constantly seeking to make Him our treasure. As Christians, we also want to engage one another in truth and in love when there is a straying away from the truth. At times, we have to rebuke and correct one another. But even this is done in a way to encourage, although at times it may seem harsh. As we engage unbelievers, we want to do so in a way that points them toward Christ. I believe this is Paul's pattern throughout his ministry. Even people who disagreed with them, he wanted their salvation. He wanted them to be saved. Consistent opposition toward the church by other religions and by the state call for believers at times to be critical of them and to point out those abuses. Paul certainly in this text is ridiculing the Jews for their opposition to the gospel. He's doing the same with Gentiles of Thessalonica as well, the governing authorities there. So the question is this that we need to ask today. As believers, what should be our tone of engagement with fellow believers and unbelievers as well. So I want us to look at this and uh, just looking at the text, the first thing I want to point out, I'm going to answer that question by pointing to two things. First of all, how do we engage believers? We commend the faithful. We commend the faithful. And uh, secondly, my second point is this we rebuke those who hinder 
the gospel. We rebuke those who hinder the gospel. Those are my two main points. First of all, to commend the faithful. Paul here is writing to the Thessalonians who have endured hardship. They have endured suffering uh, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, They have uh, uh, been... Timothy reports back that they are standing firm even in the face of opposition. And so uh, he's, he commends them. And let me just run through a few things where Paul commends them. First of all, as we talked about last week, he commended them for receiving the word of God and accepting it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. In other words, the words we spoke to you were the words of God. They weren't mere human words. We took what God gave us by the Spirit and spoke in the form of words. And those words came out as the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you believed them. And he commended them for that. He commended them. He's thanking God for that, but he commended them that they heard and believed. But also he commends in this way, uh, there in verse 14, he says, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So his second commendation to them is, You are imitating the churches of Judea and us. You may remember back in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you became imitators of us. Um, That one is walking in a way that is worthy of God, he says later on in chapter 1, or later on in chapter 2, or earlier in chapter 2, that they were walking in a manner worthy of God. But also, uh, the imitation involves that these guys were, were... Uh, hindered everywhere they went. I mean, everywhere they went, they proclaimed the gospel. I mean, these guys were faithful. They went to a city, and they said, where's the synagogue? And they said, it's over there. And so they went over there, and they said, hey, we're fellow Jews. Let me tell you something. Jesus, he is the Messiah. And some of them believed, and some of them didn't. And those who believed said, tell us more. And those who didn't said, be quiet. And they were forceful in that, you know. And just about everywhere he went. Man, you just walk through the book of Acts from chapter, uh, from the time Paul was converted in chapter 9 and just walk all the way through and just count up how many times he was either thrown in prison, uh, beaten, uh, left for dead, run out of town. Uh, he made a choice everywhere he was. I'm going to stay, I'm going to go, whatever. But he's saying, you imitated us in that this is the pattern that we've had. Wherever we go to spread the gospel, there's opposition. There's a hindrance. Namely, he's focusing on the hindrance that that came from the Jews. Uh, But here he says, you're imitating the churches that are in Judea. It's a particular region, an area of Judea. It's not only Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, when 
persecution began at the hands of Saul in Acts chapter uh, 8. They were scattered, and they were scattered out into the area of Samaria and Judea. Uh, and so those, they left Jerusalem, Christians did, they left Jerusalem and they scattered out. They went out into Judea, uh, and those were the churches that he's uh, particularly talking about. So what he's pointing to is this pattern of suffering or pattern of church life in the first century. He says, for you brothers became imitators of churches of God. And he's commending them. He's saying, yes, you're standing. You didn't let the persecution, you didn't let uh, the uh, obstacle hinder you from believing and even spreading the gospel. Churches in other places, he says earlier on in chapter 1, have heard the testimony of your stand. So he's commending them and he's pointing to a pattern that they experienced that was like the churches of Judea. Like I said, Paul was familiar with this pattern because it was the pattern of his missionary journeys, of him going uh, to various places and suffering and proclaiming the gospel and suffering and so forth. So he's pointing to these places. Let me just kind of take you through a few of those thoughts. First of all, in Acts chapter 8, just clarify some of what I just said. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says there, speaking of Saul, this up-and-coming Pharisee uh, in the Jewish faith, it says there that, and Saul approved of his execution, that is Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. He puts that exception. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Other believers were scattered out in Judea and Samaria. In chapter 9, verse 1, we find uh, there that at the conversion of Saul, before uh, he's actually converted, it says in verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So uh, we see that the, the church, Saul was at the forefront of this, uh, this uh, suffering of the churches in Judea. But then Jesus saved him. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus, the persecutor, he saved the likes of Saul, this guy who was persecuting the church, this guy who was a persecutor, uh, who, who gave authority to the execution of Stephen. And Jesus saved him. Much like you and me, right? I mean, we were against God, enemies of God, and he saved us. Hallelujah, isn't that wonderful? So we see that this, uh, this was going on. In Acts chapter 12, we see a continuation of the suffering and the uh, struggle that the early Christians um, endured under the hand of, uh, of Herod the king. In chapter 12, 
verses 1 through 5. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And so we, we see that the, the Jews were uh, behind all this that was going on there. And uh, Paul is saying, you know, uh, letting them know, you know, you're imitating the church. They were, uh, they were under this persecution. History, uh, Robert uh, Jewett, uh, theologian, uh, makes a good argument that around A.D. 48 to 52, during the periods of uh, Ventidius uh, Cumanus, he was the uh, procurator. I have trouble with long words I don't say often. Procurator of Judea. Another persecution broke out against the Judean church that was provoked by the zealot movement among them. And so we see this, uh, this was a pattern, these things. Had, and the pattern kind of, you, you kind of see it through the book of Acts. He's saying you in, in, imitated the church of Judea. It's not just that you did what they did. It's that you went through what they went through, and you're still standing. Let me kind of point very roughly to the pattern that they were following. And this is the pattern of churches. It's the pattern that happened when believers began to believe there in, in the early church and in various cities and towns and places. Something seems would always happen. First of all, they believed the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, uh, we see Peter has been telling uh, on the day of Pentecost, and he's preaching the word of God, and he's uh, uh, telling them the truth of the gospel. And he, he says that there was this plan to redeem people from their sin, to redeem uh, people uh, who were against God, and he goes through that, and he explains the gospel very well, and many believed. And in verse 41 of chapter 2, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So uh, the, the first part of the pattern that we see is people believing the gospel. They believe the truth of God. The second thing that we see uh, that, that happened wherever the gospel was believed was that those who believed came together. They came together. Right there in chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So we see that they, they believed the gospel, and then they were together. There was community among the church. The other thing we see taking place is we see the spread of the gospel taking place. So they believe the gospel. They're together in their belief. They're together 
in all that they do. They're together in worship. They're together in life in every way. Okay? And they're spreading the gospel. Look at verse 47 of Acts chapter 2. They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The gospel was going out. But then something would happen, usually instigated by the Jews in some way. And what would take place is some Jews would take exception to the message that was being delivered, because they were speaking that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And so persecution began to break out. In chapter 6 of Acts, we see uh, something taking place. Uh, chapter 6, 8 through 760. Not going to read all that, okay? Uh, that's a lot. But it's the narrative of Stephen being arrested and his uh, uh, speech before uh, the, the Jewish authorities. But it says here in uh, verse 8 of chapter 6, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Listen to what it says. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. So here we see persecution at its very infant stage. So when Paul is saying there in Thessalonians, he says, you suffered the same things. You are, verse 14, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. He's saying, you know what? The pattern of the church here at Thessalonica is following the pattern of the churches in Judea. Not only was spreading the gospel, but they were also enduring persecution continuing to do that chapter 8 go with me go with me I know some of you got Bibles and some of you have got devices I can't hear the devices but I can hear those pages so in Acts chapter 8 again verse 4 look what it says now those who were scattered went about preaching the word this is after Saul came in and started arresting people and came in and started ransacking houses and came in and started looking for those who were part of the way. And Christians were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And as they were scattered there in Judea and Samaria, it says there, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Who are those that were scattered? It was the believers, except the apostles Look in verse 1. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Wasn't the apostles out there spreading the gospel? It was people like you out there spreading the gospel. And so we see that persecution caused believers 
to be spread out. But then what we see is we see those believers being faithful to spread the gospel wherever they were. And so they endured persecution, some by standing like Stephen, and some by fleeing like these Christians. They were enduring persecution. We see it here in, uh, in this place. And then when they, not only were they enduring persecution, they were spreading the gospel. There in verse 4 and then in chapter 12. Again, going back over there. We see they endured persecution under Herod, the king. He laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And then in, on down in chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. They endured persecution. And what did they do? What was their response? Let's spread the gospel. In the midst of persecution, let's spread the gospel. Because that's who we are. We are proclaimers of the gospel. Paul, in commending them, commended them that they believed the word of God. Not only that they believed what these guys were saying, but they identified that what they were saying was the word of God. But also, they imitated the churches following the pattern. You didn't let the persecution cause you to move away from the things of God. You did not let their persecution cause you to, uh, to refuse the gospel and refuse to spread it. You didn't let that keep you from being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that is consistent with both Jesus and Paul is Regardless of what's taking place, if it's persecution and you're spreading the gospel and you're suffering for the name of Jesus, Paul has a consistent response. And that is this. I mean, in Romans chapter 8, which we just got out of, he says, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. I think the, the Thessalonians are hearing that truth and the commendation of Paul. Nothing separating you from the love of Christ. You're imitating the churches of Judea. You're walking through the same things they walked through. Their own countrymen were bringing against them. And you're doing the very same thing. Nothing can separate you from the love. Man, if you're in the love of Christ, if you're in Christ... Nothing can separate you from his love. Jesus helps us to see the beauty of, of this as well. When he says, you know what? If you're persecuted for my name's sake, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice, he says. That should be the tone of our communication to one another always rejoice in the Lord Paul writes from a prison cell again I say 
rejoice. It's the tone of our communication to one another. To move our hearts and our mind toward Christ's likeness and joy in the Lord. Not as a result of our circumstances, but as a result of His redeeming love. But then Paul makes an unexpected turn. Did y'all notice it? He's commending these guys. Y'all suffered like the churches in Judea. You suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And then verse 15, boop, it turns. He turns on the Jews. He begins to rebuke the Jews. And more particularly, those who hinder the gospel. Look what he says concerning the Jews. He said, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Notice what it says. And displease God and oppose all mankind. How are they opposing all mankind? They're hindering the gospel. Man, the gospel's hope. That's the hope for everyone who believes in Him. It's the best news there is for sinners. And that's all of us. The best news is, is that your sin is against God. And you deserve death. And you deserve eternal punishment. But God, He loved us in this way. He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, you're displeasing, they're displeasing to God, and they oppose all mankind. Why? They hinder us from speaking the gospel to the Gentiles. So he rebukes the Jews in the, in the letter. Of course, we know Paul didn't have any problem rebuking the Jews to their face. But he's letting the Thessalonians know, you know what, you're walking in this pattern And these guys did the same thing. They, they came against the Lord Jesus Christ. He rebuked them and said the same thing. They persecute the churches in Judea. But also he says of them, they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. You know, this is something that gets pointed out pretty consistently uh, in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. In Acts chapter 7, I was referring to Stephen earlier, and there at the end of his uh, rebuke of the Jews. First, he tells a great history of, of uh, the Hebrew people, and then he rips into them at about verse 51. He says, You stiff necked people, chapter 7 of Acts, verse 51. 
you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen said, you killed the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets. Speaking of the Jews. Paul's rebuking the Jews in this text here. He's saying, look at what they did. Look at what they did. They killed the king of glory. In Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, we see Jesus speaking the same kind of things to the Jews. In verse 31, Make sure I got that right. Verse 29. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. These are the religious leaders of the Jews. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Jesus points out the truth of Paul's statement. This is what they have done. These religious leaders uh, led the people in revolt against Jesus Christ. But here we see Jesus said, this is a pattern of you religious leaders. You're just like your fathers. You say you wouldn't have done it, but you would have. So Paul is pointing out some certainty, some facts regarding the Jews and their religious leaders that they killed the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets. And then it says here that they displease God and oppose all mankind. They displeased God by hindering the spread of the gospel. Everywhere Paul went, it seems, there were Jews who sought to stifle him from preaching the gospel. He would preach it. Some would believe, some wouldn't. The ones who wouldn't came against him. And so we see that he's pointing these things out. And then he comes to this place. And I'm almost at the end here. Where he said, these Jewish leaders, these Jews, they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. They drove us out. They displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. And what are they doing in doing that? They're filling up the measure of their sins. What they're doing is sinful. By keeping the gospel from people. But wrath has come upon them at last. What do you think the tone of Paul is there? 
Yeah, they're getting theirs. I think that's what it is. You think Paul's saying, you know what, God has heard our pleas. He's seen what they're doing to his church. And now he's raining down his wrath on them. That wrath is just beginning for them. It's starting to happen in them. You think Paul was filled with joy over the fact that Jews were not believing, but instead were suffering under the hand of God. You would think that if 1 Thessalonians was the only letter of Paul that you read, but I assure you, Paul is not speaking in joy at their sorrow and at the wrath of God on the Jews. Well, Rick, how do you know that? Kind of sounds like he's saying, finally, they're getting what's coming to them. That's never the tone for believers. And I think Paul shows us that. And I think Christ shows us that. That our tone is never to rejoice when people do not believe and suffer for it. But instead, our longing is that they would be saved. Let's trek through a few of Paul's words in Romans chapter 9. He's just come out of eight where he has said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And where he has said, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. And where he has said that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now he says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. My brothers, my kinsmen, that would be Jews. He said, I wish that I myself were cursed. Let me read it again. And cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen. How about chapter 10 of Romans, verse 1? Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. The tone is for redemption. The tone is love and sorrow on Paul's part. He's rebuking the Jews for what they have done, but his longing 
is that they be saved. Or consider Jesus again in Matthew chapter 23. Look with me there. He was letting them have it there about being the sons of those who killed the prophets. And yeah, you would have. You'd have killed them. You'd have taken them out. But he's not through talking to them. He says, woe to you, woe to you. He's rebuking the Pharisees and the, uh, the, 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 these hypocrites, these scribes. All through this chapter. I mean, he's, I mean just read it sometimes. kind of like, man. But please go down to verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. Do you all hear the tone of Christ? Sorrow. He, he loved this city. And its inhabitants, I wanted to gather you. But you weren't willing. Even from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the tone. Of believers for believers and for those who are not believers it's no excuse they don't know what they're doing we're seeing things right now that we should question but not with the tone for the demise of others. But with a tone that has the heart of Christ and the message of the gospel and the hope for all believers and all mankind that they would hear the truth of the gospel. I'll spend some more time in this area next week. But I think it's important for believers today to be thinking along the two streams that exist right now of how people are responding to various things. I'll be more specific next week. Number one, believers, we should take seriously the thought of religious liberty. We should not dismiss that. Someone recently said, do we want to spend our social capital on this? Yes, we do. You take this away. It also presumes we have social capital. I think the last decade has demonstrated that we don't. So I think it's important for us to have in mind 
the thought of religious liberty, but also we as Christians do not want to come across as uncaring and unloving in a time when a serious virus is taking the lives of people. There are no easy answers in this. But I think Paul helps us to at least know right here what is that tone that we should have. And he certainly shows us the importance of as believers being solid in our stance for religious liberty and what that looks like. When he says... They displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the hindering us from speaking, hindering us from our faith and what we do that's part of the pattern of our life. We should be thoughtful, but certainly we should also make sure that our tone matches that of Christ, that of Paul, that of believers through the centuries that have given everything for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the goodness of your love, the faithfulness, Lord, of your Spirit within us, to help us to see and recognize the truth that is found in your word. Lord, we want to live that. And we want to be faithful. And Father, we thank you for the faithfulness, Lord, that you have shown throughout the ages. Lord, harsh things have come upon Christians throughout the ages. Yet here we are. Lord, you're faithful to keep your people. And so, Lord, we want to be a people that is faithful in pouring out the gospel in doing what you have called us to do. We thank you, God, for the strength and the courage to do it because those things come from you. And also, Lord, for the clear message of the gospel that we've been called to deliver. And Father, for the love that you have taught us to show to others, both those who believe and those who do not. And for us to be measured in all we say and all we do. We love you, God, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand. Come as God leads.